Hello and welcome to the FreightVine podcast, your source for all things freight transportation. I'm Chris Kaplis, Chief Scientist at DAT Freight and Analytics, and today I'm joined by Ben Steffes, Vice President, CTM and Managed Services at Coyote Logistics. I invited Ben to join me on a podcast because I came across an interesting white paper that he co-wrote. Through a survey of hundreds of shippers and carriers, the research report explores which KPIs, or metrics, key performance indicators, are used within truckload transportation and how similar or different this perspective is between shippers and carriers. In our discussion, we touch upon the importance of technology versus personal relationships, how shippers and carriers agree and disagree on specific KPIs, and what set of industry standard metrics would look like, along with the challenges of widespread adoption across the industry. The report raised some interesting and actionable insights into how each party should measure and manage their relationship. I think it's really worth reading, but I think you should listen to this podcast first, of course. So following my conversation with Ben, I'll be joined by Dr. Enam Yub to discuss the truckload market update. So let's get started. Welcome to the Freight Find Podcast, Ben. Hey, Chris. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this is uh, interesting. I came across a, a white paper that uh, you helped author, and it really piqued my interest. So before we get into that, the, the white paper on metrics, let's talk about your career. You've been at Coyote for a, a little over a decade now, and that's a big, big change that things have happened. How have you seen the 3PL market change over this time period of during your career that you've been at Coyote? Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy looking back that it's been just over 11 years now that I've been with Coyote. And, and since starting in 2011, I think uh, the, the freight market and the market for 3PLs have changed in kind of two ways that I see as, as some of the more relevant ways that we're doing business in different ways, or at least looking at doing business with customers in different ways. The first thing is that uh, technology is is something that 3PLs, I think, have really leaned into as being a differentiator for, for ourselves um, with our customers. And that was kind of the way that we started thinking about Coyote from its days as a fledgling broker is it was also thought of as an innovative, you know, thought leading company that was really out there to disrupt the market with not only our people, but our technology. Um, and I think as the, the freight brokerage market has kind of evolved and changed over time. Technology has become a bit of, of what you'd probably consider table stakes for many customers. So I think the way that that we've seen that evolve over time is really that our people become a bigger differentiating factor. You know, one of the other white papers that are that Coyote has published over the last few years and we've kind of come back to is the difference or I guess the balance in technology versus humanity or the people that are driving it. So Looking back to that study, if you look at the shippers and the brokers and the carriers that we reached out to, we saw kind of really a 60-40 split between what people want from a freight provider, um, 60% being technology that backs their the capacity and the service that they provide, and then 40% being the people that are a differentiating factor. So I think over the, the last decade, we've seen... Um, you know, kind of an interesting shift away from just the technology play being really important to customers to also having that relationship side and uh, that kind of supplementing or augmenting the uh, the brokerage play. So that's interesting that the, the technology, how it's advanced, but now that it's not as important as, as the human, we'll get to that in, in a second. But do you think technological sophistication has uniformly increased across this industry at the shipper side, the broker side and the carrier side? Yeah, and, and that's a really great way to put it. I think what's really interesting and kind of the 
another main thing that we've seen is there is so many more partnerships and integrations across the transportation space with the customers, uh, technology providers that may be providing a TMS for customers, and then also the carriers that want to be out there, you know, bidding on spot freight, bidding on contract freight. Customers want optionality. They expect to receive that optionality by way of technology, but they're still very much interested in the partnerships and the people that they're used to working with at the carriers. So technology is kind of the aggregator, if you will. Um, and then the people and the relationships kind of bring together, you know, what customers are looking for uh, from their freight providers. So when you talk about relationship, that's it's a loaded word, right? Because no, no one ever says, no, relationships don't matter. But when I got in the business in the 90s, relationships meant uh, meals, tickets to sporting events and things like that, uh, right? What does relationship right. mean to, to Coyote today? Yeah, I think for us, I mean, certainly there is the personal aspect of the customers that we've been working with for a long standing time that we want to maintain those those uh, those opportunities to have some fun outside of our, our professional relationship. But for us, it really means finding the right customers to provide the right solutions with with the right technology and then the right groups or people at Coyote. Um, so that's really where, you know, for us as an organization where we lean into and 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 really believe that we're bringing some differentiating factors to the market is that we're not just out there trying to kind of throw things at the wall and see what sticks with customers. We're being very prescriptive about our capabilities and our technologies in certain areas to identify the right opportunities to be a significant player in our customers' networks, but only really where it makes sense uh, for us and for them collectively. And we think that improves the relationship overall. Got it. Got it. So, you said the markets change, technologies come in and everything like that. How has Coyote changed? Because during the same 10-year time frame, you guys were acquired by UPS. So how has that evolved internal with the four walls with Coyote? Yeah, I think our, our UPS acquisition has afforded us uh, the ability to just not only you know benefit from the Coyote brand that was well-established prior to the UPS acquisition, but also just to be a part of UPS as an organization is a really compelling uh, story to be able to tell customers. And it affords us the ability to solution across the customer's supply chains. I mean, UPS is the, the single largest asset-based provider in the entire world, right? So we have access to assets and technology and people and services and solutions that many other brokers and uh, you know freight providers don't have access to. So I think for us over the, the course of that, you know, since post-acquisition, we've really been able to identify opportunities to improve our, you know, relationships and penetrate a little bit deeper with the customers that we have that we and that we do work with. So I, I think the, you know, for us, it's, it's again, just having that, that company that backs us like UPS, it's really makes for a pretty compelling argument from a sales standpoint with customers and its recognition that and support from our parent company that has really allowed for us to change and evolve over that time too. Okay. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your current role. What are you doing at Coyote now? Yeah. So I, I currently oversee Coyote's managed services division, uh, which includes our CTM department, which stands for Coyote Transportation Management. So that's, uh, you know, what our customer, when our customers come to us for an outsourced managed transportation solution, it's really, again, twofold going back to the, the people and the technology, but it's outsourcing a you know a portion or all of your supply chain management to our Coyote operations teams, mm -hmm. and then they execute in our technology where customers then have visibility to our externally facing cloud-based TMS. So that's the the CTM world. 
Uh, I also have a, a supply chain engineering team that is responsible for our externally facing consulting projects. So we're working with customers on network optimizations. We run RFP management events for them or RFP events for them through our RFP management solutions. Uh, we stand up reporting and analytics dashboards for customers to garner insights from, you know, many of the things that we'll talk about a little in a little bit on the metric yeah, side. Yeah. That's what this team is responsible for. And then we also did just go to market in, in September with a, a new self-service TMS product that is, you know, it's not a full software as a service uh, suite that would be akin to the, the Blue Jays and the other, you know, standalone TMSs of the world, but it affords our customers the ability to execute their transportation in a coyote sponsored system. So, you know, those, those kind of three things, the, the CTM department, our self-serve TMS and supply chain engineering groups really bring to the market our, our capabilities, not only from our people standpoint, but our technologies for customers to access our different systems and, you know, bring value to their supply chains. It seems like the self-serve one, which just got launched, is uh, kind of at odds with CTM. CTM is managed transportation, and that's been growing a lot with many different companies because it makes sense. When the self-serve is kind of where you're doing it just the opposite, do you view them as uh, competing offerings for a company, or do you see it as a ladder for a company to move up and get more engaged with Coyote? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So we we really view it as a ladder. The the opportunity for us is typically in the managed transportation space or which are with larger middle market or enterprise size customers, right? So we view Coyote Go Premium um, as an opportunity to start interacting with the more SMB, smaller SMB and middle market shippers who you know, managed transportation doesn't really make sense from an economies of scale standpoint for them. Um, so this is a, you know, a great way for the, to offer them a free technology that gives them the ability to build their own routing guides, tender loads out to the spot market to carriers of their choosing, get rates from Coyote as a broker, but they don't have to choose Coyote. This is a carrier agnostic tool, um, but it still is a great way for customers who have previously not had technology to back their supply chain execution purchase that without having to actually pay for it, but to really get into that space and then start seeing the value of being able to execute all their transportation activity, have a centralized place to view their data, right. and then garner some reporting and analytics from that tool. So you launched in September. So do you find it easier or harder to sell to a smaller company versus a larger company? <laughs> it's, I mean... Obviously, the, the free price tag makes it relatively uh, a relatively low an, an entrance point, but it is uh, it is interesting because it it does take some education on what the value yeah. that a tool like this can bring if they're not if the the customer that we're interacting with is not used to that, right? I think right. everyone hears that technology is important in in supply chain and transportation. Again, we'll get into some of the the data behind all that in the metric study, but. It's, it's difficult to action that and take that and use the tools to actually make changes in your supply chain. Okay. Okay. So let, let's shift over to the main reason why I asked you to come on to the episode um, is that you wrote a recent white paper on that's entitled Metrics That Matter, What Shippers and Carriers Really Think About Supply Chain KPIs. It's what they really think about, right? It's one of these BuzzFeed that kind of things. You wouldn't believe what shippers believe. Um, tell us about where the idea first came out, what drove you to look at metrics. What was the driving force for us as a as a broker? We we often straddle the line between behaving like a shipper and behaving like a carrier. Sure. So coming out of you know the COVID pandemic, when we saw widespread supply chain disruptions and macroeconomic factors that were 
really influencing the way that customers were thinking about their supply chains and interacting with their carriers, we wanted to know, is there a consensus between the shipper and carrier community that we could find and help start pushing the narrative that really both sides of the supply chain do want the supply and demand demand chain, do want there to be some sort of an agreement or alignment uh, for metrics that we can start measuring one another to. So, you know, we that was really the impetus behind it is we know that we're in this very disrupted supply chain environment as as a broker. We wanted to figure out if there's a way for us to start evangelizing this thought where, you know, everyone kind of talks about it in shipper choice conversations and carriers are always asking for it. How can we really go to the market, prove that there is enough consensus between a large a large sample size of shippers and carriers to say that this is probably something we should start looking at more in earnest as a as a community? Okay, so um, going in, was your hypothesis that you thought shippers and carriers would think the same or that they would be different? Which way was your initial gut? Yeah, our initial gut was that we're going to see that people agree that they want consensus, but we did see think that there was going to be more of a disparity between you know the metrics or the numbers that shippers and carriers thought were should be the benchmarks. So they, they agreed conceptually that they should align, but it was the devil more in the details? Right. Correct. Well, let me ask you another question for that. So you did shippers and carriers and you found that they kind of were in alignment. We'll get into more depth with that. If you surveyed brokers, other brokers, would they be more like shippers or carriers, do you think? Or would they be aligned as well? Or are they a different animal? I think it's a bit of a different beast. Like I, I said earlier, you know, as a broker, um, you know, we often straddle the line between behaving like a shipper when we are going out to per, you know procure capacity and rates from our uh, the carriers that we work with. And then also, obviously, we need to service our customers and provide that high level of service and meet the metrics that they have. So I think um, it just depends on the situation. I think if a, a broker would probably behave more like a carrier, if you're asking them about spot freight or low volume lanes, but if you're talking to them about contracted or more consistent volume lanes, they're probably going to behave more like a shipper because they want to and have to be able to expect that from the carriers that they're working with on a daily basis. Okay. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the methodology. How many shippers did you go to? How many carriers? How'd you contact them? So how'd you get the sample size? Because it's such a big market. It really matters right. where you go. Yeah. So what we we started with by doing is is meeting with product owners internal at, internally at Coyote. So we wanted to meet with our carrier sales leadership, our customer operations leadership, customer sales, as well as our customer experience and research teams that Coyote has. So what we did was we we basically spent a month with a question set that we originally devised internally and then kind of sent that out to the field where we were talking to these product owners about what would resonate with the carrier community, with the customer community and our different contacts and the, you know, on the sales side. Um, so we basically spent a lot of time ruminating over the, the question set to figure out what would be a as all-encompassing as we possibly could go to the right. our, our third-party research firm with that, that question set. So once we did that, we went to the, the third-party research firm that we work with and asked them to basically reach out to you know, just over a thousand shippers and carriers. And we wanted to get a, a mix of different carrier sizes as well as different customer sizes. So, you know, if you look at the sizes of the companies that we worked with, there was a, a pretty even spread of, you know, 51 plus trucks represented about 15% of the data set. There's four right. to 50 trucks represented, you know, 50 some percent. So we, we did reach out to a multitude of different carriers as well as customer sizes. Uh, ben, this is all truckload. No LTL. Correct. 
This is all truck. Road. Generally, probably dry van, maybe reefer in there, because I don't, I don't think you distinguish between those, but not like a lot of specialty carriers. Is that fair? That's correct. Yeah, that is a fair assessment. Um, it, it's assumed that some of these companies obviously did play in those different equipment yeah. types of modes, but yes, we did not ask that question specifically. Got it. Got it. All right. So let's let's cut to the chase. What were the five KPIs that came out? If I look through them, um, let's see, you ended up with what? On-time delivery, cost per load, uh, appointment compliance, uh, tracking, and on-time pickup. Is that right? Yep, that's correct. Yeah. So were you surprised was- by any of those five? Did you think another one would be in there? Or are you surprised that some of those were actually included? So uh, I think... You know, it's interesting. I I wasn't really surprised by the mix of the five that shook out as the top ones. It was a bit interesting that on-time delivery was, for me at least, was as close to on-time pickup in terms of what, you know, customers and carriers thought were were important. I understand that coming out of the COVID environment and the way that inventory levels are are currently being managed, there's a a glut of inventory right now. So on-time pickup and getting things out the door can be as important as on-time delivery to certain customers based on space constraints. But I, I think on-time delivery was something that I thought was going to be far and away the most important KPI as opposed to being as close to on-time pick and delivery. You know, that's interesting because we've done a bunch of studies up here at MIT with different uh, companies, and we found exactly that on-time delivery matters so much more because if you're late picking up, you'll make you'll make it up if it's a long haul, if it's over a day, right? You'll probably right. make that up. And so, but that's interesting that you raised the point. I hadn't really thought about that during the pandemic or especially right now, or actually before now, you wanted to get stuff out right. as much as possible. Um, do you think that was a temporary blip? Do you think that's going to continue? I think similar to the the uh, the shippers stating that you know over seventy, I think it was seventy seven percent of them were more concerned about service as opposed to to cost. And coming out of this you know this post COVID world, they wanted to service their customers because that was so important. I think similar to that, we're going to see a shift and kind of the pendulum swinging back towards on-time delivery being of paramount concern as inventory levels, you know, normalize. And I also think that we're going to see a, a, a more equalization of, of on-time service in general being just as important as cost per shipment or perhaps cost being more important in the next, you know, kind of swing of the freight market. Yeah, I know capacity, covering capacity. When I, when I talk about that is, uh, which I guess you have I, I don't know where would capacity come in the even the availability of of having that a, a truck for them i guess that would be on time or for carrier acceptance right that that yeah make, I, I think did that not make the top five it was not carrier acceptance when you think about compliance it was more so um it was carrier acceptance that was kind of the bigger one um that that sh- I think that was in the top five. It might the the compliance was probably acceptance as opposed to okay to, to appointments. Yeah, appointment. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, but let me ask a, a question about because I, I agree with what you're saying for cost and capacity. Getting capacity was primary acceptance. And when I talk to shippers now, and you probably see this, is that yes, cost matters, but making sure you have that capacity. That's why it seems like for this cycle of bids, and I'm curious if you're seeing this. Shippers tend to be doubling down on incumbents, uh, not spreading out to find. You know, usually when you see a market soften, you spread out, you find more savings. It seems like now they're trying to double down. Are you seeing the same kind of thing? Yeah, I think in general, uh, through through our, our the, the RFPs that we've started to field and, and interact on, I, I do think that that is something that you know we're seeing. 
I would say a shipper is favoring incumbents who did support them through the pandemic. I think there's a lot of incumbents that that struggled. So certainly continuing to lean on the providers that were there during the tough times, knowing that, you know, the COVID market was a, a pretty tough one for carriers from a cost standpoint. Obviously, fuel costs were extremely high. There's a lot of different factors that contributed yeah, sure. to being a, a difficult market. Um, but I do think that uh, it's also interesting when you look at the metrics of the, and the way that the shippers responded, there was like over 50% of them said that they were actually more difficult on their carriers when it came from to service expectations during and, and shortly after COVID than they were prior to that. So I think there's probably this realization that they were being more difficult on them, expecting higher service levels. And they were also realizing that carriers were in a pretty tough spot from a, you know, just from an economic standpoint. So I think now it's it's realizing those things and really kind of giving back to the carrier community, if you will, or or at least honoring the commitments that they've had with their incumbents who did a, a great job with them through the tough times. Yeah, we um so up here at MIT, we wrote a paper called Elephants versus Goldfish, and we looked at whether carriers remember if they were treated poorly during a soft market, would they retaliate in a tight market to those to those shippers? And we found there was none. They were total goldfish. Um, but we couldn't do the study for shippers yet because we waited for another cycle. Now we've got that. And so if you like to vote, do you think shippers are more elephants or goldfish? Elephants remember and they do things. Goldfish forget after 10 seconds. What do you think? I would I would say, well, I, I mean, it depends on how deflationary the market is or inflationary, I guess, depending on when you go out to the community and get that. that I would say probably more on the elephant side. I I think they're, so too. I think they're, yeah. I, I've talked to some angry shippers. They would say, I remember yeah. you, you came six times to raise your rates. Yep. Yeah. As opposed to those and, who kept the service and kept things going. So I, I my guess yeah. is shippers are more elephanty. Um, yeah. Let me ask something about cost. Cause whenever I look at this, I think of cost in a separate bucket of level of service, right? Cause you're always making trade-offs with those and cost is always there. Um, you included three different cost metrics and I'm curious why you had it per shipment, per pallet, per pound, but not per mile. And you had all these three different ones. What was your thought behind that? I think, uh, well, I, I do think when we revisit this study and it's something that we likely are going to do on an annual basis, just right. because I think it would be interesting to look at this over a longer time horizon. But I think we started with probably cost per shipment being the highest level, just because there there are a lot of the carriers that we talked with are are ones that are moving short haul lanes, and if we just asked them for cost per mile, it could have come back with a ten dollars per mile on a you know fifty mile local run. Um, so I think that's what we tried to I guess eliminate that confounding variable, if you will, by just by focusing on overall cost per shipment. Yeah, but it is something that I think. As we look to uh, to revisit this study on an annual basis, that it's something we probably would would look into adding adding to the fold. Okay, so one of the the punchlines for the for the report is that you're recommending industry standards for five KPIs. So let me just read these really quick, and then we can talk sure. about them. Um, Ninety five percent on time pickup and on time delivery to appointment with a thirty minute plus or minus buffer. Um, th those are two for on time pickup and on time delivery. Ninety percent primary tender acceptance. Um, payment within one week and cost in dollars per shipment. So let me just talk about some of these payment within one week. Um, how realistic is that? <laughs> this is the, the standard. Where do you yeah. think shippers are right now? 
I think right now we're at 30 to 45 days is probably um, airing on the side of 30 is probably what the kind of the gold standard would be um, for especially larger shippers. Um, I, I think that there's a recognition that cash flow is obviously an extremely important part of carriers uh, businesses and especially for the the smaller ones, you know, the 50 trucks to less, less which, you know, according to the American Trucking Association, 97% of the, tr- the carriers that are out there have that fall into that bucket, right? So cash flow is a paramount concern to them. So I think as we get into a place where there's more technology available to carriers for invoicing quickly and they're not waiting on paperwork to get in, it will be an expectation that we move towards shorter payment terms. Um, I think the one week number, it's funny when I presented on this, this article at CSCMP, that was probably the thing that, that generated the most questions following the presentation right. uh, from shippers in the room. But, but, but let me ask yeah. you a question because you're a broker, right? Yeah. Why can't you pay the carrier within a week and then you get paid by the shipper whenever? So you carry the float. I think for us as a broker, we do obviously offer shorter payment term options for carriers. So ones that interact with us on a very frequent basis that uphold high service levels and are, you know, we have different kind of buckets or tiers for carriers and the the ones that we work with on a regular basis that do afford them some shorter payment term terms if they are, you know, servicing our freight to a higher level or whatever the options are. But um it's obviously important for us to make sure that we have cash flow too, just like anybody else, no matter sure. else, no matter how large you are. But it's something that we do offer our carriers that that work with us regularly is is shorter payment terms, and it's it's becoming more and more important to our carriers. And I think our technology does back that, so I think there's an opportunity to improve that quality of time. We, we did an analysis years ago when we were part of Chainalytics before DAT acquired us in 2020, where we tried to look at for all the shippers what your payment terms were and did that influence rates implicitly and we saw a little slight positive impact but it wasn't really strong and that if you have the longer payment terms you tend to have slightly higher rates because we found that some of those um, shippers that have really long terms and we could name some companies that but we won't who have really long payment terms uh, they also tend to be um, looking at low cost as much as possible so it it does it kind of confounds the the question right um but if you look at one one of the things that's kind of interesting that we've seen over the last, certainly over the last couple of years, maybe a little longer, is that some shippers are starting to embrace spot as a strategy, not just every every load doesn't go have to go through a routing guide. Um, as a broker, you understand this fundamentally that brokers are probably better suited than asset-based carriers to handle some sparse, sporadic, less consistent lanes. How do these metrics, do they change? Are they impacted by that? Where a lot of loads are now coming on they're bypassing the routing guide and they're going straight to spot through an API or some other mechanism. What do you think? Will Mm -hmm. that change the metrics? Yeah, it's interesting. When I, when you look at the, the, the way that the data shook out from the study, we saw that, well, two different things. First off, we saw that there were many of our customers, 42% of the respondents said that they're outsourcing some version of, you know, there's or some portion or all of their supply chain to an external freight provider to manage that. That could be someone like us in C- the CTM or Coyote Transportation Management world, or it could be somebody that is just out there being their, you know, their their carrier executing on their transportation and they maybe are tendering to some underlying carriers, whatever that, that situation may be. So it was interesting that 42% of our customers are relying on external providers to manage their freight. And I think that when you have a market like this that's as deflationary as it is, they're looking to see how what is their opportunity to 
uphold our commitments from a primary tender standpoint, but then to your earlier point, bypass the routing guide as much as possible. Now, the, the way that it's, it, the second thing and reason why it's interesting is that over 60% of our customers based on the lane volume, were actually deciding to tender freight to certain types of carriers uh, based on you know either the customer they're delivering to or the volume on that lane. So that's where the metrics that you you know expecting someone to show up and pick up and deliver at ninety five plus percent or whatever the you know ninety five percent within plus or thirty minutes of the appointment time. Uh, that's where it becomes really interesting when you you have to have I think at least some different expectations for a, a carrier that you're only interacting with on a you know ad hoc type basis as as compared to. Uh, your contracted carriers. Now, over 60% of customers adjusting their tendering strategies based on the customer or lane type is really interesting. And I think in a market like this, again, that's as deflationary as it is, you know, we're working with customers in our managed business to basically see where have we hit our commitments from a bid standpoint and how can we just push as much the spot market because of that cost benefit that they're receiving. Yeah. yeah. So, hey, how does... um. I didn't see it in the report. Maybe I missed it. The whole idea of drop and hook versus live load, live unload. Did that come we, up at all? Because I think where where anyone can, a shipper will try to move to drop and hook just to speed things up. But they're restricted by geography, by space, um, by the size of the carriers. And it seems carriers are also restricted. The smaller guys can't just can't do that. They don't have the assets. So how does that affect? Is, did that come up in any of the discussions of setting this um, report up? It didn't. Um, and again, that's something that I think, you know, is very, it's somewhat, not very, it, it is somewhat market dependent. I think that right now in the market that the spot world is so advantageous for a shipper, they might actually be looking to do the opposite and find some live load, you know, carriers that can come in and pick up on an ad hoc basis to save as much money as possible. But then you have the conflicting problem of the inventory levels and and everything else that's going on right now where they need to get freight out of their their warehouse so uh it's something that i think from a drop and hook standpoint from like servicing freight and on time metrics it's an it's an interesting one because you do have to measure that a little bit differently than live load and unload right um but it's it would be interesting to roll that into this study to see you know, especially from the asset-based carriers, when it comes to uh, their ability to service on a cost per shipment level, they can much easily, more easily build a network around something like a drop and hook type um, network that's much different than all live loads. Yeah. So um, Rob Haddock from Coca-Cola, who was on the podcast a couple episodes ago, uh, told me, and he's been talking with you about this, that he thinks shipper lane projection accuracy should be included in this, where this is the the volume per week or per month, whatever that the shipper put out to the carrier during an RFP, how much do they adhere to that? What are your thoughts on that? Is that something to add or is that something that uh, you should think should stay out? No, I, I think it's, yeah, it's funny. I, yeah, Rob and I have connected on on that since the release of this study. And I think it's a really, really important metric for, you know, for us as a broker going through RFP season, we think about fill rates that customers are upholding for us. Fill rates being obviously, you know, living up to the awarded freight volumes that were were included in the RFP. Right. That's a really, really important factor for us when it comes to pricing. So I think at the cut, you're really going to see that influence the cost per shipment because if a, if a customer or a shipper is a, is able to forecast accurately for their carriers, whether that's on a, you know, annual type basis, that's great. But then more so even throughout the week and the month and the quarter, it will absolutely inf influence carriers' abilities to service the freight and also provide rates that they know that they're going to be able to 
to uphold and and procure capacity out for them, you know, themselves. For us as a broker, obviously, if we're going out to our carrier community and we can give them a, a, a forecast that we can stand behind, it's just as important as a customer having that conversation with their yeah. carrier directly. Yeah, it, it's interesting because uh, in a lot of shippers that we that I've talked with, the routing guide's a living document, right? It's yeah. not like it RFP, it's frozen and you know, it comes down from right. the mountain. And what we've done some work up here and we've looked at uh, many different companies and we find that there's a lot of um, uh, activity where, where ghost lanes occur. And this is where the shipper puts it out to bid, the carrier bids on it, they're awarded it, and nothing comes up over the course of the year. Um, and we found that, uh, you know, that happens more than you think. Like 60% of the lanes tend to be ghosted, um, even though it's a low volume. There are low volume lanes that usually fall prey to that. Um, what do you think? How how do you going to compete? How would you operationalize this idea of shipper lane projection accuracy? Would it be, you kind of hinted at it, maybe look at it quarterly. Do you see the duration of contracts going down? Will there be quarterly RFPs or maybe semi-annually instead of annual? How do you think this yeah, will change I, I the duration? Right. I was actually going to ask you the same thing when you're talking about the, the study that you guys have done with the shippers, if you've talked to them or, or pulled them on the frequency with which they, they're they interested in taking their freight out to bid. These were all annual. This is looking back, okay. I think, the last six, six, seven years. And so it was mainly annual. But then we also looked at the time period when it went. And and up until, you know, pandemic, you'd see the spike. People tend right. to have 80% of their volume is set by an annual contract. And then around the edges, it's, you know, maintained. That, that went out the window during the pandemic, but it's probably coming back again. That's what I think for us, we are starting to see more of an interest from customers, you know, large and small shippers alike in taking their freight out to bid in a, you know, quarterly or semi-annual fashion, just to to try to capitalize on, on some of the market trends, obviously. But it's also in the interest of having a good relationship with carriers, honestly. A lot of the times they realize that it's very difficult for carriers to you know, to hold these rates in, in, in a market that swings so drastically from one point of the year to the next, if you're talking about a 12 month period. So I think they recognize that the the carriers that have come to them during the tough times and said, I need an, I need to take an increase, but have also come back to them during the easier times and said, you know, it's time for us to, to offer some relief to you guys. Those are the ones that they want to interact with on a more frequent basis, whether that's quarterly or semi-annually. But what what do you think? What do you think are the forces that are stopping a shipper from doing quarterly? Because doing an annual bid, I remember when this it used to be a major effort, and still is for a lot of companies because the data we think right. the data is there, but it's really not. And you, right. you have to collect it from disparate systems. You have to do all this work and forecasting. Do you think it's gotten easier for shippers? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think first off, there's when you're a very large shipper and you have a, a massive footprint, um, it, it certainly data collection and just the effort that goes into the different award scenarios and generating those things uh, is, is significant. So I think that's definitely a, an uphill battle or one of the, the hurdles that they have to go through. Um, I also do think that publishing rates and, you know, adjusting routing guides and how that relates to how they're tendered out through your TMS system, like that, that does take effort. Sure. Um, so I think those are some of the things that shippers are thinking about when they talk with their carriers about how frequently they want to take this, you know, their their networks out to bid. Um, so it's probably just more so the personnel and then the data management side of things that were that are difficult. All right. Let me kind of bring the kind of close things down, but I want to ask some findings and I want you to tell me of these findings that you had in the report, if they were surprises to you or if you expected it. OK, so first one. Sure. 
Excel was the most common tool shippers used to manage KPIs. Surprise or expectation? I, I think it was an expectation. I, I think it was still Were a bit you disappointed shocking. though. Were you disappointed <laughs> a little bit? As as a managed transportation provider who who offers dashboards to customers and also realizing how often they're interacting with those, it was not necessarily disappointing, but it was in line with what we see from other customers that Excel is still a very powerful tool that is the backing of the way that most data is shared internally and externally. So it, if it, it, it'll further depress you, though, to know that Excel is the most common tool used for network design, inventory planning, forecasting, yep. everything. It's it's crazy. OK, next one. Um, were you surprised or did you expect that shippers prioritize performance over cost 77 percent to 23 percent? I think that that number, the disparity between the two, the 77 to 23 was a bit shocking to me. I, I think even coming out of the COVID and you know supply chain disrupted environment, it was still a bit shocking that the cost was that much more heavily weighted than service, or excuse me, service was that much more heavily weighted than cost. So um, are you familiar with the McNeil Lira effect? Do you know the no. McNeil Lira news show used to be on in the 70s on NPR? It was the uh, the most highly regarded one and people when they were surveyed by nielsen they'd always say oh yeah we watch mcneil lira and they yeah. really never did it was a virtue <laughs> so do you think that that same effect is happening here where people say you ask a, a shipper said oh of course performance is more important than cost when in real life maybe it's not or do you how how, yeah. how close to the truth is this do you think i, I do think that you know, there was, I think that because of the supply chain disruption, I do think that service was of paramount concern because a few misshipments might have meant lost business, which during COVID was not really an option for a lot of shippers, right? right? So I think I think it, it it is directionally correct. I just think that it's probably a bit more close, you know, close in, in comparison than 77 to 23. Yeah. But, um, you know, the study tells us otherwise. Yeah. Okay, next one. On-time delivery is more important than on-time pickup. Yeah, that one, like I, like we were talking about earlier, I think uh, to your to your earlier point, when you you are interacting with shippers during your study, on time delivery was certainly a you know more paramount concern than 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 pickup. I thought that those two were going to be a little bit further apart. It was interesting that uh, when we asked them to to basically comment on it, it was yes to both, of course. Uh, that that they're really important, but when forced to to decide, delivery did edge out pickup, which I think is in line with what most people's expectations are. Okay, last one. Uh, majority of shippers and carriers both think there should be quote industry standards for logistics KPIs. I was expected or surprised. I was a bit surprised, but extremely happy that that was how it shook out. Um, I, I think. Yeah, everyone in the industry would love to have a set of standards that that we can not only hold ourselves as a, a broker accountable to with customers, but also be able to hold our carriers accountable to that don't differentiate, you know, on, on from account to account or client to client. So do you think they'll be standardized like EDI is supposed to be standardized, where the beautiful thing about that is everyone has their own standard? Or do you think <laughs> it's really going to be truly standardized? I think it, it'll it'll take some time. If we ever get there, it'll be a great day. But I think it really really will take some time for us to you know evangelize that with our our the ship within the shipper and carrier community. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of these some of these you can you can do like some of the KPIs you can have standardized. But like on time pickup and on time delivery, you know this as well as I do. On time means different things to different people. For some distributors, right. on time means same sometime the same week because they, they, right. the value of inventory is not that high. Other ones they want to. 15 minute time window. So we, I've always had a hard time harmonizing what is on time to people. Usually everyone will have a flag, yes or no, but 
but the standard of what that really means differed tremendously. Do you think we'll go into that? You had a one hour appointment with a 30 minute window. Do you think that's going to coalesce? I don't. Yeah, I agree with you. And it always, it depends on to your point, the the product types, it depends on what type of customer you're delivering to even, right? Like some customers don't want to get it early. Some want to love to get things early, but then on time can even become more confounded. I, I think getting to a point of just saying that on time is defined by 95% of the time being there within whatever you know window that you have is great. So I think that right. we can take baby steps towards standardization that will help at least align the, the industry as a whole. Yeah, because have you ever been part of a standards committee where you're actually trying to cross the to come up with some of these? Yeah, it's it's not it's not fun. I mean, in, in addition to that, the, the way that we have to do reporting when it comes to our <laughs> our our managed customers across those the different nuances i mean we basically have to have every different kind of report and, and way right. to measure this across our department which is definitely not a an easy thing to manage a funny funny tidbit when i first met jeff silver the founder of coyote it was at a committee's meeting for a collaborative transportation and it was the most painful meeting i've ever been in my life and jeff and i this is why we bought wine afterwards because it was so painful <laughs> And you're dealing with these details that you knew would never be standardized, but maybe this is different because they're like they're categories, and maybe this is direction yeah. would be standardized. But um, last yeah. question though for you, Ben, is what did you think was the biggest takeaway for you? What was the biggest surprise? What was the big aha for you doing this study? I, I think more so than just the metrics themselves and where we want to you know set the benchmarks, which I think is really important and kind of where we see this going as next steps is continuing to evangelize the fact that there is agreement. We need to move forward towards some sort of standardization. More so than that was really just the the commentary from shippers and carriers alike that actioning data, no matter how much we have of it we have access to, is a really difficult process. So 70% of the shipper respondents said that they really only view themselves as average or below when it comes to taking action on the data insights that they draw from the vast amount of technologies that they have access to in the supply chain space. So I think in addition to standardizing, you know, these different metrics for carriers and shippers across the supply chain ecosystem, it's figuring out ways that we could all take this data and and learn from it and then put it into action to hopefully, you know, get us to a point where we do have those, those standards and can measure those. So yeah, I think it was just the difficulty. That's a really good point because I think most companies are not swimming in data. It might be in little Excel pockets here and there, but um, making sense of it and um, making it actionable. I think that's, I think you're exactly right. Well, Ben, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time and insights. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah. Thanks very much for having me on, Chris. It was a pleasure. Okay, everyone, please stay tuned to hear the market update with Dr. Enam Eu. Welcome to the Over the Road Truckload Market Update for December 1st, 2022. In today's market update, we'll discuss the market changes in the last two weeks. Let's start with dry van. Active rates are flat, spot rates up 1%, replacement rates negative 12%. This means that the new contract rates are about 12% below the rates being replaced. On the temp control side, active rates are down 1%, spot rates up 1%, and replacement rates negative 16%. 
On the intermodal side, active rates are flat, spot rates down 4% and replacement rates positive 1%. Finally, on the flatbed side, active rates are down 1.5%, spot rates up half a percent and replacement rates negative 2%. All right, so it's kind of a mix of some things are a continuing trend and some other things might be emerging. Looks like replacement rates are staying double-digit negative for dry van and reefer. Yeah, I think the, all the bids are coming in, becoming active now. So it's all showing the things that we were expecting. Yeah, so 12 and 16%. That's what we've heard anecdotally. Low double digits. Not every lane is being rebid, but a lot of them are going at that. But the thing that's surprising me, spot rates were up just a little bit for both drive-in and temp control. Do you think that's a signal or do you think that's noise? I think it's it could be that all the activity that we saw just before the, the Thanksgiving um Mm. you know, sales and things like that. Potentially, that's what it could be. There's nothing shows overall market-wise for it to be switching directions. Yeah, we're still in an inverted market. What's what's the gap now between contract and spot for van and reefer? So for van, we are seeing 50 cents. So contracts 50 cents higher than spot. Right. And on the reefer, uh, 34 cents. So the uh, contracts higher 34 cents than spot on the reefer. Yeah, and so that's actually a little more than the previous update two weeks ago. So it's not shrinking yet. We kind of expected, if you look at history, to have this cycle start closing. But even though spot rates went up a little bit, the gap is still actually growing a little bit. What do you think that means going into 2023? Yeah, that's the, the piece that we have not seen before where this gap is staying for this long. I, I still believe that, you know, it, it should, it, it should turn uh, where the spot and the, the contract should start converging. But as of now, we are not seeing any signs of it. Yeah, yeah, because we've seen that compared to like January 22, spot has dropped dramatically. Contract has as well, but just not as much. And so we'll see when that catches up. Last question, though, what about uh, what about fuel? Yeah, fuel, I think since it picked back up, um, we have not, early October, I believe, we have not seen, you know, a significant drop. It went to about 5.30 and now it's around 5.15. So the fuel surcharge for shippers are hovering somewhere between 66 to 70 cents. Uh, So not a significant change. And then for shippers, it is a pass-through. So they are ending up, you know, eating that cost. So what do you think fuel would have to go to for it would have a significant impact for the shippers? Would it have to go drop below five, drop below four? What do you think? I would think shippers were already used to somewhere around four. You know, it was already built in um, into their thought process and their calculations. I think now if it holds $5 for longer, they, you know, I think, most of them have already shifted to five dollar, because at the end of the day, it has to be passed into the product cost and the cost of goods sold. That end of the day, we are ending up paying for it. Yeah, that's one of the root causes of inflation. It just kind of trickles down. We'll see how that uh, continues to get absorbed. All right. Well, I guess that concludes this week's truckle market update. Thanks, Enam. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Freight Find. The Freight Find podcast is hosted by Dr. Enam Ayub and myself, Chris Kaplis and is produced and edited by DATIQ. For more information or to hear previous episodes, please visit our website at dat.com slash podcasts. You can subscribe to The Freight Find wherever you get your podcasts. 
And while you're there, be sure to give us a review. As always, if you have any feedback or questions about what you've heard on the Freight Vine or suggestions for what you'd like to hear in the future, send an email to me at chris.caplis at dat.com. Finally, from all of us at the Freight Vine, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new.